Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit ChristChurchManchester.com. You've probably noticed that Christmas has like officially started now. Uh, I know that because we've sung a Christmas song this morning. And yesterday in, in our household, the tree went up. So now is properly Christmas. I, I realised yesterday just how predictable a person I am when I saw my, you know, on Facebook, it shows your memories of like past years. And it was just full of photos of a Christmas tree going up at our house. So this seems to be the standard weekend for us. Uh, and today we're going to look at part of the Christmas story in the preach. And my title is Some Things About Mary. We're going to look at the character Mary. What's been your kind of engagement with this character before? How much have you thought about Mary? Uh, have you kind of looked into her story much? What kind of relationship have you had with this character before. I wonder if any of you have related to Mary the same way I've related to Mary in the past, which is to put her in a headlock. Has anyone ever done that? Uh, I have. I, I, I was in year two and I, I got chosen in the nativity play to be Joseph. And uh, I know it's a starring role, isn't it? And a big part of that role is I had to walk all the way across the stage with Mary. Uh, and what they told me, the instructions I was given was gently put your arm around her but when you give that instruction to a year two boy, uh, he might take it in a slightly different way. And so it was a full-on headlock round Mary and marching her across the stage. That, that's been my uh, first engagement with this character of Mary. But since I became a Christian at age 19, there's actually been very little thought about Mary going on in my life. And I think part of that is because Mary's become a bit religified. I don't know if you've noticed that. Like There'll be certain kinds of churches and parts of the church where they make a huge deal of Mary. They'll have like statues of Mary in the building. They'll have little chapels to Mary. They might even pray to Mary. And then you get other people, like churches more like ours, who are like, yeah, we're not sure about that. Like there's, there's one mediator between God and humanity, that's Jesus. And so let's not not do the praying to Mary thing. And so we swing so far the other way that we're like, yeah, she's just a bit sus, Mary, isn't she? Let's not really talk about her. Let's not do that. And when we swing so far the other way, what we, what we miss is an incredible, inspiring character. This young girl in the story, she was a girl when the, the story is narrated, and we miss this amazing person who we can learn from. And I want us to learn from Mary today. What better vantage point is there to look at the Christmas story from than Mary, the mother of Jesus? She was right there in the thick of the action, wasn't she? So we're going to look at Mary's story and we're going to do it from Luke's Gospel. So if you have a Bible, Luke 1 is where you need to turn. If you have an app, Luke 1 is where you need to open up to. Uh, or if you want to follow me on the screen, that's an option as well. And we'll dip around a bit. We'll look at uh, multiple passages today. I want to start with from verse 26 through to 38. Let's read. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favoured one, the Lord is with you. 
but she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his king, of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Did you notice at the start the way the angel greeted her? He, he said, greetings, favoured one. Has anyone ever come up to you and said, greetings, favoured one? I think I'd be a little weirded out if that happened. You know, if I just met someone, it's like, hi, I'm Tom. And they're like, greetings, favoured one. Uh, and now there, there are some people I'd be like, it's just them. They're a bit quirky. But like, if, if I um, just turned up uh, at the local shop or uh, if I just went to meet some friends and they started. And I'll tell you what, if I ever get an email that starts with the words, greetings, favoured one, that's going straight into the junk folder. That's definitely a scam email, isn't it? So uh, ne never start an email to me in that way if you want me to read it. We use this language, favoured one, sometimes in... Uh, in our kind of circles in particular ways, don't we? We, we tend to say I'm favoured and I'm blessed when our circumstances are good, when things are going well. I can remember one time I was going on holiday, we were going to France and I was in the ferry port on the south coast of England. We had a bit of a wait for our boat uh, and there were some vending machines there. It's like, right, I'm going to get myself a bar of chocolate. Went, went there, put my money in, pressed the button and guess what happened? Two bars of chocolate came out. I said, like, I am blessed. I am highly favoured by the Lord. Like that, that, that was a symbol of the blessing of God upon my life. That's the way I was thinking about it. We, we, we say we're blessed and favoured. Maybe if you've applied for a new job and you've got it, or you get that letter back from the hospital and it's an all clear, uh, or, or you've been gifted some money, someone's given you a gift. Yeah, I'm blessed and I'm favoured. We tend to tether this idea of being favoured by God with our circumstances going well, with things going in our favour. And you can imagine Mary getting the angel appearing to her saying, greetings, favoured one. You can imagine her saying, what? Like, you're joking, mate. I'm, I, me, a favoured one. Am I really favoured? Think about what we know about Mary. Where was she born? She was born in Nazareth. Nazareth was a backwater town. I don't know if you saw in the news recently, a, a member of parliament described a, a certain town using very unsavoury language uh, because of the poverty there, because of the uh, poor life expectancy there. That's the kind of way people would have thought about Nazareth in those days. It wasn't highly thought of. In fact, when Jesus grew up and uh, people knew where he was from, they said, can anything good come from Nazareth? He was in 
from a poorly thought of place. Mary was living in this forgotten backwater under Roman rule as well. The Romans could impose heavy taxation. They could just grab someone and say, right, you carry my stuff for a mile. And you had to do it. It was a harsh way of life. She was female in a heavily patriarchal society. We're not explicitly told in the passage her age, but we do know she was engaged to be married, and it would be typical in that culture, in that society, for that to happen in her mid-teens. So she's probably somewhere between about 13 and 16 years of age. And this angel is about to drop an absolute bombshell bit of news on her. Greetings, favoured one. What? And yet there are hints here in what the angel said of God's purpose for her. Because he doesn't just say, greetings, favoured one. He says this, greetings, favoured one. The Lord is with you. And that changes everything. That makes all the difference in the world. Because you could be living in the cultural centre of the world where everything's happening, where all the uh, coolest music is, where all the fashionable people are, where everything feels really trendy or you could be in a forgotten backwater in the middle of nowhere but if the Lord is with you you're blessed you're favored that vending machine could give you two chocolate bars or zero chocolate bars for your money but if the Lord is with you you're favored and you are blessed you could be at the bottom of the heap with no privilege or power but if the Lord is with you that's favor or you could have all the power in the world but without the Lord It's nothing. It's zero, old or young, easy circumstances or hard circumstances. Blessing and favour don't come from things going well for you. They come from God being with you. That's what we see from Mary, right? And God is with her. Is the Lord with you? Well, if you're a believer, if you've put your faith in Jesus, then yes, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He's promised he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. The angel's greeting to her could be the greeting to you this morning. Greetings, favoured one. You're blessed and favoured by God. Think about Mary's decision as well. Mary had a choice to make here and her decision was thoughtful and it was informed. I want us to think about Mary's agency in what happened. Because Mary had heard from the angel, but then she interacted with it. She thought about it and she said, yes. Sometimes I think we can think about Mary as quite a passive participant, like things are happening to her that she doesn't choose. But we see here, Mary is making her own choice. In fact, Amy or Ewing, who engages with the Mary story brilliantly, uh, she says this, Mary is a woman who exercised choice, who questioned things, who reflected, responded, spoke up and demonstrated great faith. Mary was involved in this and she chose to say yes to God. Think about the cost for Mary about this choice that she made. Now, becoming pregnant for anybody at any stage of life is huge. It's a life-changing thing. And yet for Mary, think about the circumstances. Think about her age. Think about the fact that she's not married. She is engaged. What would it mean for that? What will Joseph think when he hears? Will will he leave her? Will she be on her own if she's on her own? Will, will, Will she ever get married? Would anyone marry her if she's there with this child out of wedlock? Or would she be um, condemned to being on her own forever? Think about the shame. Think about the stigma in that society. What Mary was choosing to carry was costly. 
And so she didn't just go into it like the angel turns up, says, this is the deal. She's like, yeah, all right then. She asks her question. She's got a question. She says, well, how can this be? In other words, Mary's been to school. She knows how babies are made. She knows the deal. Sometimes I think we could be like, well, it's the past. They didn't really understand how stuff worked. She definitely understood. She's like, look, I'm a virgin. This isn't going to be the case. How can I have a baby? She asks a question. Did you ever have this in your class at school or maybe um, college or university or wherever you've studied, where the person teaching would finish the class and you're all getting ready to go for break and then they say, does anyone have any questions? And you're all looking around being like, don't ask any questions. Don't, I just, I, and there's always one, isn't there? There's always someone who puts their hand up and says, yes, yeah, I've got a question. I'm really, you're going to ask your question now. Mary was that person, and she asked her question, but she did it to an angel. That's pretty brash and bold, isn't it? The angel's there. It's like, hang on, mate, hang on, right? Let's just get this clear. I want to understand what you're on about. We can be nervous about questions sometimes. We can think, can God really handle it? Will everything just collapse like a Jenga tower if I start asking these things I'm thinking about? God can handle it. Jesus loved questions. Did you know that in the Gospels, Jesus asked 307 questions? He loved them. He was asking questions all the time. He didn't answer many questions. Like people would ask him stuff and he'd be like, well, got a question back for you. Think about this. Or here's a story. He, he'd answer them in really indirect ways because he loved people to think and ponder and wonder and mull on things. And that's what Mary is doing. Let me say this. If you're here and you've got questions don't be afraid to ask them. Maybe ask someone who you came with, hey, I've been wondering about this. I don't understand this thing. Or come along to Alpha. We're doing another Alpha course in February. Come along. It's a great space to ask the questions you've got. And Mary asks her question and she gets her direct answer. And then she's going to make her choice. This is a huge moment, isn't it? Imagine if Mary had said, nah, no, you're all right, mate. I've got other plans for my life. Just imagine it. Bible teacher Frederick Buchner, he imagines it. He imagines it from the angel's perspective, this moment, delivering the announcement to Mary and waiting on what she's going to say. And this is how he envisages the, the angel thinking. She struck him as hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child, but he had been entrusted with a message to give her, and he gave it. He told her what the child was to be named, who he was to be, and something about the mystery that was to come upon her. You mustn't be afraid, Mary, he said. As he said it, he only hoped she would have noticed that beneath the great golden wings, he himself was trembling with fear to think that the whole future of creation hung on the answer of a girl. That was powerful. And what was her answer? What was the choice that she made, having thought about it, having asked her question? Well, she said this, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. She chooses to say yes to God and this adventure that he's got for her. She thought about it, but she made her choice. I wonder maybe if God is inviting some of us this morning to make a choice, to say yes, to opt in to the things he's asking us to do. Let's think about what happened next for Mary. So then Mary went up to the hill country. She had a cousin, Elizabeth, who was 
also pregnant. Elizabeth was older. She'd been barren for years and years and years. So it was another miraculous pregnancy. And then the two of them start hanging out and talking to one another. And then off the back of the conversation that they've had with each other, it leads to this song called the Magnificat that Mary sings. And there's something I, I came across by him. Um, Caitlin Scheiss, who's uh, another Bible teacher, I think some of you are really going to like this one, right? She says this, every discussion of biblical womanhood should include the fact that in Luke 1, two pregnant women celebrate their new motherhood by passionately discussing the coming overthrow of every earthly empire. That's kind of badass, isn't it? It's pretty cool that this is where they go. But this is the song that Mary sings off the back of the conversation with Elizabeth. So jump down to verse 46 in Luke 1. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my saviour. For he has looked with favour on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. There's a Methodist minister who described this song as the most revolutionary document in the history of the world. An Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury a hundred years ago instructed British missionaries who'd been sent to poverty-stricken India never to read these words in public for fear that it would cause riots on the street. This is incendiary, revolutionary and radical. Mary's heard from the angel who this baby would be. He would be the Lord. He would be Jesus. That name means God saves. He'd be the son of the most high. He would rule forever on the throne of David. And she understood the significance of these titles. From the Old Testament context, she got that this changes everything. It changes everything in two ways. You could say it changes everything for the redemption of persons and for the reversals of power. Redemption of persons and reversals of power. She starts off by thinking about herself. She reflects on her own need of a saviour. When people talk about Mary as sinless, no, no, that's not right. She needs a saviour like the rest of us. She's a great example of someone recognising that need and then looking to Jesus as the saviour. She, she understands. And then she, she mentions her own loneliness. She mentions God's mercy. Because of this baby who's born, individuals who need saviors, who are, who are lowly, who are in need of mercy, that's us, right? That, that's people like you and like me. We can find this hope that God has given this baby to be the savior of the world. And yet it's not just the redemption of person. She goes on in verse 51, talking about how he's shown strength. That's about rescuing the helpless, about scattering the proud, about bringing down the powerful and lifting up the lowly, about filling the hungry and sending the rich away empty. She's talking about overturning society, flip turning everything in this world where the powerful uh, are exploiting and mistreating the poor and needy. She said, it's not going to be like that anymore. God's going to fight for those at the bottom of the heap. He's going to turn 
turn things over. And those who are doing the oppressing, they're going to be brought down. And those who are oppressed are going to be raised up. She sees that this gospel is individual and social. It changes everything. It changes hearts and it changes the world. Again, Amy L. Ewing says this, Mary read the power discourses of this world and she defiantly believed that Jesus is the hope for humanity. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? And so then for Mary, what happened uh, is all these different things that had been happening, all these different incidents, these different moments, they became fuel for her life, for her devotion. Jump into chapter two and I just want to show you a few things that happened. In Luke 2, verse 19, this is right after the story where the shepherds came to see uh, the child Jesus. And in verse 19, it finishes like this. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. I'll jump down to verse 33. They've just been to the temple and Simeon's there. and uh, He's been so excited because he's realized the significance of this baby, that he would be the Messiah. And then he's prophesied about what the Messiah would do, how he'd be uh, God's salvation for all peoples. And then it says the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. At the end of the chapter, verse 51, it's jumped on a few years now. This is when Jesus is a boy. They've just gone to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the festival. uh, And they were leaving. And they were leaving with a big group from their hometown. And they got part of the way home. And like, hang on, hang on. Jesus is gone. Where is he? He's not here anymore. And they realize he's still back in Jerusalem. So uh, he's gone for three days. But after three days, it's like, yes, we found him. He's back. He's in his father's house. And then it says this, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. You see, Mary had this pattern of all these moments, all these little things that God's doing that she's seeing in her son, in her baby. She's treasuring them. She's taking them into her heart. It's not like she's having these things happen and then just like, okay, that was great. But what's next? I'm going to move on with life. She's not forcing the issue. She's not trying to uh, overly define things at this stage. She's just taking them and carrying them inside, treasuring them. I wonder if we miss this. I wonder if we're too busy to ponder sometimes, too busy just to take the time and reflect on, whoa, God was doing some stuff there. I'm just going to let it sit. I'm going to carry it within me to take all these little God experiences and take them as like little gems and putting them in the treasure chest of our hearts you know often we talk about spiritual practices don't we things like sabbath or silence or fasting or all these things they're all great things to do and I wonder if the reason why they're so good is because they create space and context to do this to treasure and to ponder on the things of God So Mary's got this little treasure chest in her heart full of all these gems. And then think where that took her over the course of her life. We see see at the start of Jesus' ministry, what does he do? He turns water into wine. That wasn't even his idea. It wasn't at the wedding thinking, oh, they don't have wine. I'll do something. Mary was there with him and she's like, ask him. He'll do something. He knows what to do. This was before he'd started going around doing miracles. It's before he'd started his public ministry. How did Mary know? Well, because she's heard all these prophecies, because she's seen all these things, and she's pondered and she's treasured and she gets it. Yeah, Jesus can turn the water into wine. 
Or think about right to the end, at the, at the cross, John 19, it says, Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. She has that heartbreaking experience of seeing this child that she's brought into the world strung up on a cross for the sins of the world. Maybe she thinks back to the word Simeon spoke to her. The child is destined for the falling and rising of many, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Maybe that's her witnessing him on the cross. But here's an interesting one. The resurrection. Where was Mary? Because I, I always just thought, oh yeah, the women went to the tomb. Mary was one of them. She wasn't. In Mark 16, it says Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome. We think that's the same one who was the wife of Clopas. They went, they bought spices so they might go and anoint him. Three women at the cross, two women who went to the tomb. I was wondering this week, what, what's that all about? Is it just a mother's grief? Is it just that she, she didn't feel up to it? Or was there something else going on? I just wondered, maybe, just maybe, that story from years earlier where they'd been to Jerusalem and Jesus isn't here. And then three days later, and it says three days in the story, 12-year-old Jesus He's back. He was gone and he's back. Mary treasuring it. Mary pondering it. Is there something more to this? And then for 21 years since that day, she's considering this and she's hearing him say things like, tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it. Hearing him say things like, isn't it written that the son of man must suffer and go to Jerusalem and on the third day rise again? Hearing these things, treasuring them, pondering them. And I wonder, and I can't prove it, but... Maybe she didn't go to that grave on that Sunday morning. Maybe because she knew he, he wasn't there. Maybe because she'd pondered and she'd reflected and she'd grasped something. And then we see Mary in Acts 1, part of that group in the upper room, praying. And then in Acts 2, the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. There's something about Mary, isn't there? She, she's awesome. She's a brilliant inspiration, a model for faith. I just want to ask you this question. What are you learning from Mary today? What's the thing from these scriptures that God's speaking to you about? Maybe, maybe there's something in this thing we started with that your blessedness doesn't come from your circumstances. Maybe for, for some of us, it's that we're so beaten down by what's going on in life that we miss the fact, hang on, God is with me. The Lord is with me. I'm favoured and I'm blessed. Maybe for some of us, there's that choice to make. Like Mary had to choose and say, let it be to me according to your word. Maybe there's a choice that God's asking some of us to make. Ask your questions, consider the cost, and then maybe choose today like Mary did. Perhaps for some of us, it's seen the full dimensions and implications of the gospel. Personal redemption and power reversals and change in society. Or maybe, maybe it's just this habit of pondering and treasuring the things of God in our own life. Thanks for listening. 
Christchurch Manchester is one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media. And you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you.